Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 503. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on the network, please go and visit evergreenpodcasts.com. So this week's interview is with my friend Charlie Burney. Charlie's a fellow podcaster who co-founded Podville Media and the Podcast Village where he consults and helps produce notable podcasts such as The Lincoln Project or The 1600 Sessions. He's also author of the newly published The Tao of Podcasting that uses the wisdom of Taoism to help navigate the world of podcasting. In this conversation with Charlie, we discuss Taoism, Charlie's career and creative outlets, the evolution of podcasting, and some of the pearls in his book, which he wrote and illustrated. This episode is loaded with interesting tidbits and resources. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. And if you have a little moment, go ahead and drop in a rating and review, and don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Well, 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 Charlie Bernie, <laughs> one podcaster to another, one friend to another, one musician to another. In your words, Charlie, how would you like to describe yourself? Um, well, first of all, thank you so much, Minner. I'm honored and delighted and thrilled to be with you today. I Professionally, I describe myself as the chief listening officer of Podville Media. Uh, and my my business partner often corrects me, says, I want you to say chief listening and viewing officer because we do so right. much video in my you know, if I could be remembered other than as a nice person, I'd like to be remembered as a creative person. I've always felt when I did a mission statement with a cubby coach 20 years ago now, creativity was the magic word. Um, and so I'd like to be remembered or thought of as a person who was creative. Um, and so I hope that answers your question to, to some extent. Well, we're going to get into it. Let's just, uh, <laughs> work on the creative side and tell us Please. what type of things turn you on in terms of being creative. Cause I know in your book, you have your drawings, but you see, you have many facets to your creativity. Well, there's certainly music, as you mentioned in the, as we got started, I I've written some music. I'm writing a book about dad, trying to honor the 20 folk songs that he wrote when he was alive. And if I may, uh, divert just for a moment i had absolute joy listening to your interview with your father um and it made me think as as i do listening to podcasts makes me think of completely unrelated things in this case it was not unrelated i was thinking about my father who passed uh two years ago in the week of our insurrection um and and all of the things that i worked with him for 19 years all of the things that we'd shared. And I was so envious of you having this wonderful interview with your father. I mentioned it to Oscar, my business partner. He said, but you did interview your father. I'd completely forgotten. I did an interview with him. It's somewhere on SoundCloud where I asked him about his origins in sailing, uh, a passion that he had his entire life. And I share shared with him, still sail today. And uh, um, it was wonderful to remember that I had had a, a brief interview with my dad. But thank you for sharing that with me. It was absolutely wonderful to to be part of the audience for that what you do in creativity and you got obviously you're gonna have to 
resurface that interview <laughs> with your dad, with whom you are so close. But what, yeah. what else do you do? Well, as you mentioned, I draw. I started drawing, uh, drawing music, um, occasionally writing. I wrote a, a couple of really great poems, um, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> I started drawing in high school in the margins, just like Sergio Aragon's from Mad Magazine. And I've kept drawing, or I definitely call it doodling, the style that I draw, as you could tell perhaps from the illustrations in the book, I call um, uh, the unfinished line because I don't really draw everything. It's not a, a complete, you know, I may not draw your leg. I may not draw half of your face. I I, I leave the lines extending. Uh, there's uh, the, the great caricaturist, uh, Saul, uh, the Lion King, Saul Hirshhorn, what was his name? Anyway, uh, he, the caricaturist, do so many beautiful drawings, but most of those lines are finished. They go to a finite point. The, the nose, the, the eyes are completely drawn. That's just not the way I do it. I draw very quickly uh, and and try to caps, catch a glimpse. Uh, so I, I, I used to carry around, back to creativity, Minner, I remember in college I had a Snoopy notebook that would fit in my breast pocket just because I had so many darn weird ideas all day long. And, of course, I use my phone notepad. It's not quite as romantic as uh, drawing with a, a good pen or a good pencil. But it's just always been something that I've always felt I just have lots and lots of ideas. And, and if I can capture them all, wouldn't that be a thrill? This this year, with the completion of, of the book, I'm trying to capture uh, as many of these things as I possibly can. I'm in the process of writing uh, about seven mini comics, which are, um, if I may be so bold as to give you an analogy, when you take when you're not a comic book artist yet and you take an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and you print on all four side, all four quadrants on the front and back, then you cut it down the middle and you make what's called a mini comic. Uh, right. And I've gone to small press expos uh, in my area of the United States many times and picked up many copies, you know, for a quarter or a nickel of people's mini comics. I'm writing one about the Dow of podcasting, one about the Picha Kucha, uh, the five minute speech. And, uh, I'm trying to just use this year, this time in my life uh, to explore and push the limits, uh, push not the limits, the unlimits of my creativity as I haven't. Uh, the last several years, as you know, I've been solely focused on uh, outside of family, solely focused on promoting and building our podcast business here at Podville Media. So I've, but I've always felt I, I have, and other people have, I was actually asked at my uh, the real estate company I used to work at to do a, a short lecture on creativity. And I was nice. very pleased to do that uh, many years ago. I'd, lo I'd love to do more of that. So, Well, what I can say, Charlie, is that it was a, a really refreshing and lovely way of reading to sort of go from the, the short stanzas to the image and back and, and see what relationships there were, plus the little comment you always had. So let's um, talk, Charlie, sure. now about your voyage into podcasting, podfill and <laughs> such. How did you get into podcasting? Well, that's, I, I appreciate it because I love telling the story. I, as a religion philosophy major, I got out of school and didn't really know what to do. Um, it's not something- Like most of us, like most of us, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got a job working on a construction crew 
um, for uh, locally, uh, a company that my father was a little bit involved with, looked at teaching, but I wasn't really cut out for that. And then uh, began to work with my father. We were uh, just about to embark on a huge development project, uh, uh, actually a, a golf course of all things, and became one of the most environmentally recognized golf courses, in certainly in Maryland. And then um, later on in my career, I worked in that company for 26 years. Later on in that career, I was tasked with creating a corporate philanthropic organization for the brick companies. But as I did that, Minner, I thought, I've got to learn how to promote this and talk about our good works without spending any money promoting it. I didn't want to use money I'd raised to buy an ad to do anything at all. I only wanted to give it back. And if I can tell you one of the ideas that I still think is a big idea that I had there, we created a matrix when I started to try and figure out where the money should go. I had a board of uh, advisors. We sweated this out. I had a, my closest friend is a, a philanthropy strategist. We worked this whole matrix out. And then I realized, you know, we decided where we would give the monies to. But then I also love, loved all the staff. We had about 100 people working for us. And I would go around to the various properties and talk to them about this. And when I asked them, I'd done everything I could to promote our philanthropic work. When I asked them, did anyone at all know where we gave the money. There was absolute silence in the room. One old guy in the back of the room said, well, I think he gave some money to Children's Hospital. And I got him to tell me why. And he said, it's because my grandson had to go in Children's Hospital and that stuck. And I was ready for this answer. And I come up with an idea. And if I ever give a TED talk, I'd love to do this. I called it the VGP, the Volunteer Grant Program. So this was an idea I had out of some associations with the with the uh, philanthropy. I'd heard about something called a time bank. And somehow that made me think of this idea. And I said to that crowd where the one guy knew we'd given money, I said, well, that's all done. The matrix is done. Nobody's going to decide where the money goes anymore except you. So here's the way it is. If you do any volunteer work outside of your work for the brick company that equals i think it was 50 at first i wanted to raise it to 100 but my business partner at the time my brother couldn't believe i would make it 100 because they weren't even being paid 100 dollars an hour i said one hour of your time is worth a 50 dollar grant to any recognized charity it doesn't have to be the place you work so if you and i men are living next to the boys and girls club this is an example that came out of that we could go over there and help with homework play ball with the kids didn't matter doesn't matter. You're on the honor system. And then you could come to me and say, I worked five hours. Can I have the, uh, let's see, $250 sent to the, you know, uh, the, the blind charity, the, the cancer charity that spoke to them. That gave me two deliverables, a letter of recognition to the Boys and Girls Club and a letter of recognition to the charity, which gave you gave the money to. I love that. That was that was my dividend from that work. So I, I developed this program. We had 70% vesting in the first year. Uh, I think they've done away with it since I've gone and, and moved on. But I felt that was something. I had one anecdote, and then I'll move to the next part to get to the answer to your question about podcasting. But this is the beginning of that because I use social media to promote. 
one guy came up to me at the golf course one day and said, look, Mr. Bernie, I know you don't know who I am. I said, yeah, of course I do. And he said, look, I need to thank you. And I said, what? He said, your program allowed me to give $700. You would max out at a thousand because my partner couldn't bear the thought of it going more. Uh, and it maxed out at a thousand. He, he said, your charity, I've, I've been dog training for, you know, for, I think it was for the blind for dogs for the blind for many years, your charity gave me the ability to give $700 to this other charity that I'd never heard of. And he said, I just want to thank you. And that's what I was going for, Minner, is the thrill of a connection. Um, and and it was terribly exciting. So these these ideas kept coming up. The getting into uh, podcasting came up out of I've loved marketing my whole life. I'm not trained in marketing. I didn't go to school for marketing. I just find it incredibly exciting and innovative. And I could talk about that. One of my friends who ran his own marketing company did some promotion for us on an occasional basis, got me listening to a podcast. It was called For Immediate Release. It's about B2B marketing. And I listened to it for a month before I even understood what the guys were saying. It's a fellow in California and a fellow in England. Uh, and I now understand I'm on a weekly phone call with the host in California because we just uh, miss people and we talk once a week. So I began listening to this podcast and then I moved, left the company, moved into a co-working space in Gaithersburg, Maryland. And in came Jeff, my friend from uh, uh, For Immediate Release, who tur turned me onto this podcast. And he's there trying to help promote co-working. At this time, co-working was, was very new for us. We didn't really know if it would work. Uh, it was run by my former company. They gave me a free office because they said, see if you can get people attracted. We don't know if this is going to work. And that was a buzz with a question mark and to some extent still is, of course, the WeWork story, et cetera. And I looked at Jeff one day and I said, Jeff, thinking naively, Minter, that with my small PA system that I had all the equipment one would need and the sure SM57 microphones, which were the wrong ones. Uh, I said, Jeff, why don't we do a podcast? Because that then we can tell stories about everybody in this co-working space because everybody's doing something different. It just made sense to me. And I'll give that back to them as rent and they can put it out in their newsletter, which they did. I almost got to 100 episodes, did um, so many podcasts from that office and started getting other. It took me a while. Uh, I studied uh, with Ray Ortega and, and Pat Flynn, some of his podcasts about how to podcast and figured it out. It wasn't until I partnered with my uh, aforementioned business partner, Oscar, till I learned the value of a really good microphone. And I first thing I said when I talked on one of these was, oh, damn it. I've just wasted several years. Right. <laughs> a big step up. So I didn't really know what I was doing. I bought the PA system into the office and figured out in about a half an hour that it was absolutely not going to help me do anything. Uh, and I bought a $100 Behringer 4-track. I used the mics that one uses for open mic that were not the appropriate mics and started podcasting without <clears throat> really knowing what I was doing. I got and what hired year was to do, that? What year was that, Charlie? 2014. Yeah, I've tried really hard to figure it out. I often say 10 years. I think it's a little more than it might have been started in 2013. But the first published one that I found is in 2014. I did a lot in my car. I did a few in my closet just to try and find that sound and find, 
you know, the, the engulfing sound you see behind me, we put soundproofing in my office. It's for two reasons. So I can do interviews with you. And also I'm very loud. Typically I've been working on that and it helps with uh, my, both my partner and I have this kind of setup in our offices in a pinch. We can use this as a podcast studio. Um, sure. we, we haven't had to, uh, but I've done an interview in my office and it works pretty well. So I started out innocently, naively enough. Uh, it's funny, uh, last detail here, Minner, um, when I was going through the book extensively and giving out some QR codes, the final, final copy will have Easter eggs, little QR codes hidden in some of the illustrations, which take you to the interview with that specific person. And the, one of my, the people, uh, uh, hi, Caitlin, who was working on this with me said, will you mention an awful lot of other people's podcasts? Do you really want to do this? And I said, Caitlin, I engineered, edited, published, and promoted every single one of those myself. That was before I had partnered with with Oscar. And she was like, oh, really? And it was a it was a lot. Uh, looking back, I had no idea what you know what I was getting into. The the ones that I'm most proud of, perhaps, Minner, are the 12 episodes I did with my daughter of Isabel's bookcase. She's a prolific reader. And in the basement of my house, she said, after I begged her to do a podcast, she said, well, dad, I'll do it. But all I'll do is sit, sit down with you and talk about the book and you have to do everything else. And she got interviewed on a national podcast about young podcasters. And she got to apply to college saying she was a podcaster. And I can go back and listen to those just as you can listen to the beautiful interview with your father whenever I want. And it's a source of great joy to me to have that time. Uh, that I shared with her. So I did dozens before I partnered with Oscar and we sort of went higher end uh, video, as I mentioned, et cetera. That's my start. Well, and continuing because that's what you're up to these days. That is what I'm up to. I'm not a host currently. My intention, as you know, is to do a few interviews for the Dow of Podcasting and to talk about the experience and people's flow uh, and or fluidity and and but now I've moved into the sort of chief listening officer uh, position, work on a little bit of everything and try to move our progress in the world of communication as it, is, as it evolves. Now, as you know, you know, when we were in Glover Park, the first day Instagram stories came out, we published one for a client the first day. I was overwhelmed that we could do that. It was Santana Moss former Washington football player. And he's gone on after doing two years of his show in our studios to TV every day. And that's part of was his journey. I hope to get a chance to talk to Santana about that. We've tried to, I call it falling forward. We've tried to always fall hard forward into the, the front edge of the wave. So whether it's TikTok reels, whether it's creating that social media or that dialogue as you do so elegantly and eloquently with Dialogos. Um, we're trying to embrace the next change is a constant and trying to move forward with that for the betterment of our, I don't call them clients anymore, I call them partners, because when you partner with Podville Media, we're really trying to think about your best interests. And in several occasions, hardcore decisions have been made when our clients weren't paying attention and we called them up and said, hey, this just happened, you need to respond. You need to respond today and put out such and such and such content. So we try really hard to innovate and to think of what's next. So chat GPT, 
Um, we've already, um, the conference I'm attending has several sessions talking about that. We used it the first week we heard about it inside of a podcast. I don't know if you know Schoolhouse Rock. The yep. the fellow who founded Schoolhouse Rock had just passed. One of our daily podcasts, they really love Schoolhouse Rock. And they said to chat GPT, can you write a song in the manner of Schoolhouse Rock, et cetera, et cetera. And then one of the hosts of that show is a mimic. And he did the sort of the famous fellows who sang most of those songs. I apologize. I can't remember his name. And he did the whole thing. So we have, we're not using it on a daily basis, but we got busy with it right away to try and figure it out. I even asked it to define Taoism. And I used it on the mini comic when we had descriptions of microphones that were too long to put in the comic. I took the long description and said, summarize and write a title. And it was fascinating. Would I use it every day? I don't know. Certainly transcription and show notes could be used in a very effective way. So we try to fall forward. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. I love that idea, that concept. And of course, that's uh, another thing you have in uh, in the Dow podcasting. So you you now run Podville Media with Oscar Zabalos um, and, and you're in podcasting. And what uh, I was listening to the latest version of The Infinite Dial which is run by Tom Webster and yeah. uh, shown by with Jen Sargent from Wondery. And it does seem that podcasting is has hit mass media. The problem that I'm seeing is that you got so many podcasts. Now the challenge becomes a little bit along the lines of what you talk in social media is how do you stand out? Because there's probably so hundreds of podcasts about leadership. There are hundreds of podcasts about podcasts. There are hundreds of podcasts about crime or whatever so many are out there well said yeah it feels like you know you're gonna have to be big just like with the 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 large learning language models that tap uh, gpt is based on it's going to be the big ones that push their way through through money and buying space and so on what do you what do you think and how do you advise clients to get theirs to be better distributed well that's really the the question and it's not always easy because some clients, as I know you're aware, don't listen uh, perhaps to what you tell them is is best. Oftentimes, men are, when a client comes in and says, I want to do this, a partner, a future partner comes in and says, I want to do this about that. That whole conversation may evolve the partner's image of their goals because we've been down this road so many times before. But to address what you said head on, there are many times when we say to a client, I have a favorite uh, partner, rather, who's been working with us for several years uh, in two locations and does amazing work. It's uh, it's called Power, Power Station. It's about community betterment, community involvement, all the aspects of community, both here in, in the Washington, D.C. area and nationally, that certainly in the D.C. area, 
there's so many things I've learned about community and need in our community that I didn't know as a 60 year old, it, I have been, I have learned. And that's a powerful thing to say. I've learned so much, so much that I think is terribly valuable. I support this person uh, emphatically, but I can't get her on Instagram yet. And I think that she's got so many fascinating clients. And if and if you ever listen to this, you'll smile because she has so much potential. It ought to be on a PBS or NPR on the weekends. Um, and all all of her interviews are with people who are going to be active. I'd say 90 percent on Instagram. That's the platform. Certainly, it's the lowest common denominator here. And I want her to be there with the studio selfie, with the five seconds of, I just finished an interview with XYZ. And and so there are times, as dad would say, you could lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, that some of our clients don't listen to our advice. I think it's a mix. I think you would agree of social media, the podcast itself. You're very diligent about posting in the various forms. LinkedIn, of course, is very important, in my opinion, is very important, not in everyone's opinion. And it's how do we network today using the most viable tools? And that's something that we try to advise. It is a, a, a massive amount of podcasts. Of course, there's many that fade when you go to the store and you look, when's the latest episode? And it's two years ago. I usually just don't go there. Um, and I try to listen to everything we produce as well as everything that I can consume outside of our production. So I don't get a, you know, a blind ear to what we do as being the authority. And I, I do that a lot with past clients, with folks I've never heard of before. I've recently started listening to the Mindset Mentor. Really enjoy Rob Dial's comments. They make me think. He often mentions Alan Watts, who's one of my favorite Taoist authors. It gives me a little thrill. And so it's, it's, it's a never-ending quest to figure out what are the right channels that will help and promote and boost that specific podcast. So that's an ongoing always developing. I mean, what's next after TikTok? Uh, I don't know, but there will be something. And what's the next way to help a client get a sponsorship or get a corporate sponsorship? What's the next best way to make this evolve in its ability to communicate with its intended audience and beyond? Uh, that's something that's always a question. And we spend a great deal of time thinking internally and with our partners and friends and our employees. Uh, as I said, we're now going back and saying, What's our mission statement? Let's rewrite it. Let's rethink it. We've evolved in what we specifically technically do so much. As again, I started out only wanting to do audio. I called it a cocktail for the ear and thinking, ah, I found my home. But it was my clients at that time back in Gaithersburg, Maryland, who started saying, you do video, don't you? I got to have video. And I thought to myself, no, I don't. And then I said, yes, I do. And I found a partner, Antonio, if you're listening, Antonio, who helped me get through a first live angel investor, dolphin tank kind of a situation, not knowing at all what I what I was doing, but knowing that I had to follow my nose, if if you will. Well, hopefully you have some nice dolphins squeaking around <laughs> you. So, um, Charlie, let's talk about the Tao of podcasting. So uh, I... I've never actually read a book uh, of the Tao of anything. So um, that was a, a lovely introduction to the idea. So I, I ah. 
Fantastic. I want you to tell me about your experience with Taoism and how you got in Certainly. even to this idea to begin with, forgetting the podcasting side. Sure. Well, it starts long before podcasting, to be honest with you, Minner. And when I send you your copy of the book, you'll see, I can show it to you on the video here, that in the in the introduction, I show a picture of uh, the inside of Alan Watts's book, The Watercourse Way, which is one of the really great books on Taoism. And it's signed right up here by my brother, Rodney, because apparently I stole that 30 years ago from him when he went off to college. Rod, my brother, love you, Rod. Um, um, Raphael now uh, is a Sufi priest and a doctor of psychiatry. Rod went, went and is on a lifelong journey to find what is. And in high school, he began, as we did in the, uh, uh, I guess that was the late 70s, uh, just trying to think here, Minter, uh, with TM. You remember Transcendental Meditation, perhaps. Sure. And Rod would meditate. And I remember when his friend Chris Hillcoat would call and I'd love to go to his room when my mom told me, he said, get Rod. Chris is on the phone. And I knew Rod would be very upset because I'd knock on the door and say, Rod, Chris is calling. And he'd say, I'm meditating. And, <laughs> and I have so much respect and affection for Rod and his journey. I attended his Sufi wedding and his Sufi ordination and can talk about that. But Rod started me because he had read Alan Watts' book, The Watercourse Way, and several others. I was trying to figure out what, what mysticism meant to me, what religion meant to me. I went to an Episcopalian school and had to study uh, religion every day for nine years uh, and, and knew, remember talking to one of our um, reverends, I knew that that wasn't quite what I thought it was. And when I found Taoism from my brother's book, when I was in high school, I felt that I'd found something that spoke to me quite dearly. So it's a little hard to get your head around at first, but I read about it. I studied it. When I went to college, I was going to have a business degree. I remember calling my father saying, I just can't do this. I don't want to do this. It doesn't inspire me. And I don't want to be a lawyer. And I've got uh, my four grandfathers on the wall and my dad, <clears throat> five generations of attorneys in the Bernie family, the Bernie attorneys. And uh, I knew that I was the last of his three sons and that I was saying no to law. And he said, oh, thank God, it's a horrible profession. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes, you know. Sometimes dad, and I miss him dearly, Minner, dad said, Charlie, you've got some sort of spark of creativity in you, and I just don't want to see it extinguished. And I never really focused on that till after he was gone. He always encouraged me. He never quite understood it because he he was a wonderful man and wonderful public speaker, made friends at the drop of a hat. And I've gotten that from him. He didn't quite understand my sort of wacky creativity all the time, but he never discouraged it. And I'm always grateful to him for that. I got a chance to work with him and we made projects come out of the ground out of, out of an idea. He was not a golfer and was on a trip and the whole thing was canceled. He and my oldest brother Lex ended up on a hill in Bermuda playing golf, not knowing how to swing a club. And they said, ha, let's do this at this and this. That came a, a, a five-year journey of permitting and promoting and building a golf course that's now recognized, certainly in Maryland, as one of the top two or three golf courses in the state. And that came out of an idea, out of an oblique angle of an idea. So let's see. Oh, dear. Where was I, Mentor? Um, we, we were talking oh, about Taoism. Taoism. So I studied Taoism 
casually. Uh, you've probably heard perhaps of the book by Benjamin Hoff called The Tao of Pooh, Winnie the Pooh. Yes. It's absolutely wonderful, wonderful book. I've read it six or seven times recently, read it aloud to my 93-year-old mother, and I would encourage everyone who hasn't read aloud recently to think about reading aloud, even a book like this one that you've already read, because I gained a deeper understanding of that book by reading it aloud to my mother. It was really wonderful. So I studied Taoism as a complete amateur through uh, high school and then went to college and started taking classes in religion and philosophy. They didn't have just a philosophy major. They had a relig religion philosophy major. It was a Lutheran college. And I could do the religion classes pretty well because of the aforementioned nine years. And then I had a wonderful professor. I've tried to find out if he's still with us, Professor Roy Bent. He encouraged me. He was very open. When I chose religion and philosophy, I went from room with 60 or 50 or 40, you know, people to classrooms with four or five people, which was good for me, if you know what I'm saying, Minner. I do. Uh, and I was encouraged by Professor Bent to study for my independent study, Taoism. My college paper, I don't know if it's the only one I got an A on it, but it's the only one I've saved. I got an A. It was called the Tao of Sailing. I had just done a semester program. I'm sure you're familiar with the like in my junior year and sailed a uh, two-masted gaff rig schooner up from St. Thomas and the Virgins to Mystic Seaport, Connecticut. Wonderful, wonderful experience. And uh, had been sailing all my life, taught sailing at summer camp. And so for Professor Bent, for my independent study, I wrote The Tao of Sailing. And I've got that in PDF form today. And if I ever have a, a website for The Tao of Podcasting, which I'd like to do very soon, so I will probably- when, up, when you have when, a podcast. When I have. Site. Well, I keep right. talking to one of our guys about getting it, and he keeps being busy. So uh, we're, we are doing that. And uh, so uh, I wrote The Tao of Sailing in college and have always studied it. In the back of my book, I think there was a picture in the copy that you received. It's a little different now. Um, I have a pretty large collection of books on Taoism. The, the central book of Taoism, I won't call it a Bible, is called the Tao Te Ching. And it is 81 passages of poetry, of of anyone, they were brushstrokes, Chinese calligraphy at the time, uh, written by Lao Tse, the Taoist master. Now, in approximately 300 BC, Lao Tse was tired of the bureaucracy of the modern world in China, and he was allegedly going off to the barbarian wastelands to finish his life. And on the way out, one of his students saw him, and this is you know, an anecdote, but it's fairly well acknowledged anecdote said, oh, master, master, before you go, could you please write down some of these teachings because we don't want to forget them. And it's a form of naturalism, if you will. And so he wrote down the 81 verses of the Tao Te Ching. I have several different translations. There's two words here, translation and interpretation, several different translations of that text, the Tao Te Ching. Recently, Benjamin Hoff, the author of the Tao of Pooh, has published in the last year his own translation of the Tao Te Ching, which I cherish. He goes into wonderful detail of the verses. He's done his best to read it in its original form, as if we could read the Bible in its original form, that's probably the way we should be reading it. Uh, I did a whole study of gospel parallels in college, and it was fascinating. It's like archaeology of words. And so I've got, I think, four or five Ursula K. Le Guin 
the author of the Earth Sea Trilogy and many other works, has also done a translation of the Tao Te Ching. And so I developed a bookcase of books about Taoism. There are many books, the Tao of, that aren't a a interpretation of the Tao Te Ching, which is what the Tao of podcasting is. Um, I have several just so of I, them. Just, yeah. just so I can say, Charlie, that would be that you took the 81 different thoughts and then use that as the basis of translation or interpretation, if you will, yes. into yes. podcasting, as opposed right. to just sort of talking about Taoism and, a, and another topic. You were in right. the same structure as the Tao Te Ching. Precisely so. So uh, Diane Dreher, who wrote The Tao of Inner Peace, that is a book uh, about, with many stories, many anecdotes, and about the Tao of Inner Peace. But it's not a, it's not an interpretation of the 81 verses of the Tao Te Ching into inner peace. Right. The Tao of Parenting, the Tao of Motherhood, the Tao of Leadership by John Hyder, who has gone on, is a wonderful 81 chapters. Actually, he added in some extras at the end about interpreting the Tao Te Ching into leadership mantras, if you will. So I was, uh, I've read these many books. My wife and I love to go to used bookstores. It's a great joy of ours. Even before we were married, we just love to go to used bookstores. And and she's a prolific reader. I read, no one can read as much as her or our daughter who reads. She doesn't get her reading time every day. She gets a little bit annoyed. Uh, and I love that. And so I developed a wonderful collection of books about Taoism, and the Tao of physics, the Tao of chaos, um, the Tao of inner peace, the Tao of love and sex. There, there are so many different versions, the Tao Jones averages, which is inscrutable as well, and had developed, you know, an amateur, I thought, uh, more than adequate understanding of Taoism. And I will go back to the Tao Te Ching, open it at any page, which is kind of what I hope people will do with this, read a chapter, think about it, make a note, move on with your day. And I had a drawing. The first drawing of this is in my Pichacucha talk, where I drew a microphone with a yin-yang symbol. And that was it. I wrote the Tao of podcasting underneath it and went about my business, just as I spoke about that Snoopy notebook and drew some other drawings and played the guitar and uh, did some dishes and went on my way. And then I kept coming back to that drawing thinking, wow, I wonder if there's something here. And just as the drawings that I had been that I put in the book, I had no real home for any of this stuff in the beginning. Those drawings came out of just sheer moments. I, I didn't have a goal for those sketches that you've seen. And I thought, well, maybe there is something here. And I opened up the Tao Te Ching one day and flipped around for a good verse. And I translated into podcast, um, if that's the right way to say it, and did that with about four or five chapters. And then it was my friends who came to my aid because I tend to share lots of things, specifically Elizabeth Olson and Jeff Steinbach, and told them about this idea and shared with them a little about it. And they both looked at me in the eye and said, Charlie, that's a great idea. And I thought, huh, well, maybe I could do a few more chapters. Maybe I could do 10. And finally, last year, I said, no, I want to do this. I really think I have something to bring to the table here. And so I uh, kept studying Tao as a mentor. And that's how the book evolved out of me wanting to finish a creative project. Um, my brother finished by becoming a, a Sufi and a Sufi priest, a doctor of psychiatry. I'm so proud of him. And he, when I went through all that collection, 
I kept finding books that he had given me over the years. There's a wonderful 400 page book called Sufism and Taoism. And that's a lot of book. Uh, and I learned a great deal from reading that book about both and the comparisons between, you know, two ways of thinking and Sufism is really gorgeous and beautiful and built so out of love. It, look, you know? I'm, I'm interpreting that he seeded yeah. this into you. Um, so I want to unintentionally. Uh, yes, exactly. So let's, <laughs> I want to just talk a little bit about uh, some of the things within the book. So first of all, I'm thinking I need to re look at all your sketches and find which line was unfinished. Um, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I love that. And second of all, the QR code, within that's a really cool idea and it does underscore what i'm determining about you charlie is that you are a sharer so many people might not want to have a qr code going to somebody else's work they're you know they're more like well stay within me stay within my closed garden but you right. are happy to let it out i'm wondering now 100 you you finished the book it's mm -hmm. it's now out what did you learn in writing it well, the first thing I learned, do you know, the first thing that occurred to me, Minner, I don't know if I learned any, I certainly did learn something from this, is that I had never really comprehensively read all of the 81 chapters. I'd gone in, dove in here, dove there, read this one, read that one, moved on, looked at that one, said, well, that's about you know, government administration, which some of the chapters are, uh, it's hard to get that in first reading. But when I did the book, I read it thoroughly. Benjamin Hoff's book has extensive chapter notes. That's where they, I got the idea in the back of the version that you've seen of the chapter notes that talk about how this came to be and why these uh, brushstrokes mean this or that. I had never comprehensively, I didn't sit down and read it through, although I read dozens of chapters at the same time, maybe 30 or 40 one day when I was working, when I was in the midst of the bulk of the work. I had never really read it through like that ever. And that was a wonderful learning experience. Mm. What I found when I came across the idea of using these, uh, thank you, unfinished lines, these sketches that never really had a home, I use them on social media to try and be a little unique um, because they're fun. I like having fun. And I found that that told a second story. So when I replaced most books on Taoism, whether they're interpretations or, or, or translations or books about Taoism, will give a, a lot of Chinese calligraphy to sort of illustrate the, the watercourse way, as Alan Watts did. There's maybe 10 pages of calligraphy, and I can't read it in the middle of the watercourse way, but it's gorgeous, and it proves a point about the, this philosophy. When I put the illustrations in there, what I learned was unintentionally I was telling the story of my development as a podcaster. Mm. So those, without any great strategy, those moments that I sketched, and there's over 40 people that I sketched, I had no idea. Usually I started out sketching a microphone or a mixing board or uh, a table of microphones. Perhaps you know of uh, James Lipton who did a wonderful television program before his passing called Inside the Actor's Studio. But James Lipton, the most famous episode is with Robin Williams, which apparently went on for four hours and someone laughed so hard in the audience that they broke a rib. It's You can find it on YouTube. It's hysterical. James Lipton, long before Inside the Actor's Studio, published a book called An Exaltation of Larks, where he collected all of the expressions that cover 
groupings of animals, a pride of lions, a, a right. bevy, uh, you know, uh, and he collected them all in this one volume that uh, a dear friend of my parents gave me on high school graduation. It's been expanded now, and I highly recommend it. It's just a lovely thing to have out. An Exaltation of Larks by James Lipton. One day I saw a table full of microphones like the one I'm speaking to you, and I thought, ah, a confusion of microphones. And so these things would come out of nowhere. So what I learned was I had told a story about my journey as a podcaster through drawings. So the book is an interpretation, but it's also kind of a subtle story about podcasting and the development. When I started using soundproofing in the beginning, I had a four mica table and and three Shure SM57s and it sounded like I was in a box, you know. Uh, so I learned what those drawings were for without ever having an intention for them. I hope that podcasters, that hosts, that engineers, producers, and listeners will use this book as a way to sort of reaffirm the experience and pause. I call it the, the silence before the sound. Nice. Well, it, it makes me, so I think that there must be two ways to read your book. I mean, obviously you can pick and choose, and then uh, you can also read it from A to Z, but you could also read it just view it from A to Z. Uh, if you look at the images, that would just be the the, the podcasting career of Charlie Burney. Um, and, it, and as a parallel, my mind went off and connected with the idea that so often we just listen to a song. We no longer listen to the album. And how many books, uh, at least, you know, obviously, you know, a novel, certain things, you obviously have to read from A to Z. But there's so many books out there that, are maybe photograph books or you know right. somehow images and we tend to pick and choose yet right. did the author who put that thing together have a reason for the the selection of the first page the second page the third page but we we don't seem to have so true we don't give, give enough time to do that kind of a thoroughness yeah but i'm not going to dissuade people from picking and choosing that, that hopefully they will go and grab your book and and uh, check it out, of course, and pick and choose or read it A to Z, however they want. Fast <laughs> forward, backwards and all. Yes, but uh, yes. I wanted to pick out a couple of things that I, I took away uh, and, I, and I thought was really interesting. So the first one that really struck me was don't overvalue the great guest. In other words, if you give too much importance to the guest, it doesn't go well. Can you elaborate on that one? Well, I th I think my hope there is to try to follow the story N again, not to overvalue the guests. There's a story in there, and it may not be the story that you think is the story when you sit down. Let's listen. Let's not be in a frantic hurry to follow the notes and to follow a predestined path. The in my earliest days as a podcaster in Gaithersburg. The clients who came in, and there was one in Glover Park too, clients who came in with extensive notes, if you will, a script, I felt that was too bad. And so if all you're doing is valuing that guest, that uh, interviewee, you may not be able to help that person bring out the actual more interesting story if you are just being a fan, perhaps. Um, there are several local dignitaries that I'd very much like to interview for this, but I know that it's their story that I'm looking for, not their pedigree, if that makes sense. So yeah. I think it's important to remember 
we've been communicating since the first cave painting, right? And we're still trying to still tell stories and share stories, share our ideas, share our experiences, share our knowledge, our learning, or our quest, or our music, which is akin to all of those things. So we're still trying to do that. I feel as I look at Podville, we have a great many productions going on here. The Lincoln Project, the White House Historical Association, the Congressional um, Hispanic Caucus. The, I, I can't name them all right now. So many different stories going on. And our staff here are very busy following tasks, pushing edits, creating social media content. Against and, deadlines. <laughs> exactly. So to be honest with you, Minner, part of this book is written for those people who work for me and in other studios, I hope, because I think it's important to recognize the moment before the magic, to to pause, to take a deep breath, a micro meditation, perhaps. Um, I hope if I'm not being too egotistical, that if someone reads the book and really likes a passage, they may go and print out or I have some a store, uh, one of them and put it on the wall you know, saying, ah, let's let's look at this and let's focus on that for a moment before we get into this and not forget why we're here, which is to share ideas, share communication, try to make the world, uh, forgive me, but try to make the world a better place. Well, that reminds me of Seth Godin, who, yeah. when he started off, said, uh, you need to make shareable content. And he, he, I can't remember where I listened to this, but he talks about, I wrote a book before it was popular. We still had fax machines, but I wanted the book <laughs> to be shareable. And, mm -hmm. um, and the idea mm -hmm. was people would photocopy a page of his book and, mm -hmm. and put it up on the wall. And that's what he was attempting to achieve in his newsletter. And I think it's a really, it's a really um, insightful way to try to produce. So, yeah. so that's a bit, that's it about listening to, the story as opposed to going over cue notes and and having some yes. rigid approach yes what about measuring success how do you how do you measure success and i thought this was a, an interesting thing to talk about real goals well it's of course it's different for for everyone I remember uh, as a as a small anecdote in the beginning when I did a show for a client out in Gaithersburg, and this was a gentleman who was tired of writing his blog. He had to write a blog post every week and was encouraged by his um, his staff, his advisors, to continue to writing a post every week. And he saw me one day in the in my little studio, sitting alone, and and there were microphones, which always brought a great deal of interest. Said, oh, what are you doing here? Because everyone else was toiling away in front of a computer, and there I was playing with microphones and wires and and egg cartons and geeking out. Believe it or not, yeah. And he said, "What are you doing here?" And I said, "Hi, my name's Charlie, and I I run a." little podcast studio. And he says, what's a podcast? He, he, he may have known what a podcast was, another gentleman named Jeff, different guy. And uh, he said, well, maybe I could come in here and talk to you once a week. I'll get to my point in a second. And I could use that instead of writing something every week. And I said, well, I think that's a wonderful idea. And for several years, we did his show still up on SoundCloud. 
and we had a wonderful time. I love being co-host because I did a financial one and uh, Brad said, I love having you there because you're sort of the guy who doesn't know what we're talking about. And I was his foil, which I appreciated and thought, well, I do, but I'm having a lot of fun talking with you. And he still does wonderful social media posts, Sherman Wealth Financial to this day. I'm very proud of the way Brad has evolved his communications. He doesn't do a podcast per se, but he's on Instagram, on Reels, on Stories every day with a financial update. It's really, I'm really uh, still very close with with that gentleman. With the, the other fellow, he turned to me after a month or so and said to me, Minner, this is back to measurement, said to me, well, Charlie, I don't think I have enough downloads. How do I get to 10,000 downloads? And I didn't skip a beat. I said, look, Jeff, do you measure how many people read your blog? Now, of course you can measure that. He hadn't, I knew the answer was he hadn't. And I said, do you think you'd ever get to 10,000? This is a very niche business sort of uh, uh, psychology niche podcast and and really meant for his client base his circle of influence and i said how many people read your blog do you think you'll ever get to ten thousand people reading your blog once a week and he hadn't ever thought about that he just thought that the podcast should be measured in thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners and uh, i hope i did it correctly but i sort of corrected him in his thinking he was just doing it as launch podcast was for the co-working space for that circle of influence, for the people working in that building. If I interviewed you and you were a tenant of launch uh, workplaces talking about your consulting business, it although I promoted it, I made social media posts even before the clients asked us to make them for them. Um, it was kind of up to you to send it out to your email list, your newsletter list, your blog list. Say I've been interviewed for launch podcast. I'm very proud of talking about my digital catalog. We had one of our first interviews with a, a guy, Hari Chinthalapale, about his digital brochure, which I had never heard of before. Um, and it was fascinating. And so it's relevant to who you think your audience is, who your audience should be. Now, Hilda Labrada Gore, who's going to be at PodFest with me and is a dear friend, did her podcast, Wise Traditions, with us for many years before bringing it in-house, which is the natural enough pro progression. Hilda now has, I believe, Hilda, I hope I got this right, 10 million downloads. So it's really, really different. It's about um, traditional eating uh, ways, unprocessed foods, et cetera. It's a, fascinating. She plunked that down once a month. Uh, I'm sorry, once a week on a Facebook page with 15,000 people following this traditional eating. Uh, uh, again, I apologize, Hilda, if I'm not just defining it perfectly. And this was an audience that was very, very interested in hearing content about that topic. So she's done extraordinarily well, and I'm incredibly proud of her progress. But how we're measuring success really depends on what your goal for that is. Are you trying to make money? Um, a former client of ours, Sarah Frazier, does uh, Sarah Frazier show, and people complain that she has ads in the beginning, the middle, and the end. I don't complain about it, and she doesn't apologize for it. She directs it. She addresses once a week. She answers uh, comments made on her show, and they say, I, I wish your show didn't have so many ads. She says, 
I'm not afraid of that. I'm trying to make a living here. I got the yeah. ads there. You know what to do with it. Move on. <laughs> and she's very successful. She's just got higher in the ratings. She just posted, I think, yesterday. I'm so proud of her. Got to visit her when I saw my son last fall. And she's got a little baby now. I got to hold a baby minor. I, I'm, a, I'm a dad who loves holding babies. My wife used to say, if you can't find Charlie at a party, she said, see if there's someone with a baby because he's going to ask them to hold it, which was absolutely true. Uh, and still to this day, although it's a little different these days, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I so do. measurement is is a quandary. Now, with, uh, with the Lincoln Project, with uh, uh, some of our clients, they're specifically interested in the metrics. And we have, my partner is very deep into that. Some of our star employees, they're all stars, are deep into the measurement in the traditional ways we think about measuring a podcast success. But it's really so different from everyone. For several of them, it would be just getting a sponsor to help allay some of the costs. We have fully funded podcasts. We have bootstrapped podcasts. It's a wide range. And I don't want to put everybody into a box. So success is a mutually agreed upon end between our partners and ourselves and how we treat that. I hope that makes sense. It does. And I, I usually like to link it into, if you're going for those traditional metrics, what is your strategic challenge and how can this be of help? I'm going to finish with a mm -hmm. quote from your book, mm -hmm. which um, I enjoyed particularly. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> Producing content through curiosity, having knowledge without possessing, speaking with no expectations, guiding, and not trying to control. This is the Tao of podcasting. Charlie Burney, thank you very much for coming in, sharing your stories, your understanding of and expertise in podcasting. And, and uh, certainly I think your book is a fun, lovely way and useful way for anybody in podcasting to get onto it. I, I know several people I'll be sending this podcast to. Charlie, uh, how can someone follow you, track you down, get the book? What's what's the best socials? I'm on Twitter. It's just C Bernie. That's B-I-R-N-E-Y. Uh, on Instagram, I'm Charlie, C-H-A-R-L-I-E, Bernie. Uh, our company is called Podville Media. We're in downtown Washington, D.C., the book will not be on Amazon immediately. There's a local bookstore. I'll be giving an author talk sometime this spring called Politics and Prose. And it is available for order currently on their website. You just go into the search bar at the website for Politics and Prose and enter the Dow of Podcasting. It comes right up. I'll be doing some posts about it if you, if some of your listeners follow me. And I'd certainly appreciate it, Minner. I'm if if anything aside, I'm grateful for the time spent with you because we don't get to see each other very often other than at the Olympia Cafe in Bethesda, Maryland a few years ago. It will <laughs> happen again, time, Charlie. The first time we again. met face to face. And I'm grateful for this time to spend with you, my dear friend. I've had a lot of fun. I appreciate that word, writing this book. And I hope people can find some form of of insight to themselves as I have with the Tao Te Ching with the Tao of podcasting. And I'm just very grateful for this time with you. Thank you, my Thank friend. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show, would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash Minter Dial. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on MinterDial.com. 
Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analysts at Chiffre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics and hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts.